Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. I'm joined again by Michael De Silva. Hi, Michael. Hello. Welcome back from your travels, <laughs> Gulliver's travels. Yeah. And Ryan Hun. Hello, Hello, Ryan. Hello. And this week we are discussing primarily the wonder of the wide forward. So many fantastic performances from players playing in the inside left, inside right positions across Europe this week. So we thought we'd start with what they've been up to. We're going to start with Sancho Corner. We have to. Yeah, what a goal. To. Welcome to the Sancho podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was such a nice goal. And Musa, you uh, compared it quite rightly to Roberto Baggio. We're talking about, by the way, Sancho's winning goal against Schalke in the Ruhr derby. Um, I think he's the youngest player to score. Um, the winner. Yeah, the let winner me, in that game, yeah. Let me give credit to, I think it was Grace Note Live on Twitter who tweeted this. He's the youngest ever goal scorer from Dortmund in that derby um i think he's only he's still 18 isn't he, yeah, he is, yeah. and the goal the reason i compared it to roberto baggio is there's a goal i think it was 2-0 italy beat the czech republic 2-0 i think or 2-1 2-0 italian 90 yeah italian 90 and baggio basically made his sort of announcement to the world he plays a 1-2 i'm not sure it was giuseppe Giannini, i'm not sure but he plays a 1-2 like he starts out wide on the left and then he continues the run yeah. into the box bamboozles a defender and puts it's a carbon the copy yeah and this was it about Sancho I didn't quite appreciate because I didn't see the game live I saw um, I saw just the finish from Sancho but right. watching it again he picks the ball up really wide and yeah. really deep and he still has so much to do you don't think that this is a goal scoring opportunity right? but he picks out the pass and as you say continues that run he expects the ball back Yeah. Um, and he's demanding high quality of his teammates. He's raising the whole standard of that Dortmund team at the moment. Um, and yeah, the finish was so instinctive. It was just, oh, it was beautiful. He's the Luka Doncic of the uh, Bundesliga. Boom. I'm going to throw that out there. Boom. Oh, that, well, that's, that's, <laughs> I like I like that. Only Doncic, I would say, uh, Doncic is basically being amazing for the Mavericks right now, Dallas Mavericks, is a, I still think he's a pass-first player. And what I love about Sancho is, He's a great creator, but he's ruthless and he attacks space. And you mentioned, you compared him to Thierry Henry. And I think the comparison is fair in the sense, not only in which he peels away to the left, but the way that he finds space in unconventional areas. The reason yeah. I mentioned the Henri thing is because, you know, it's a big, big derby, that derby. I don't think 
it maybe gets the attention it deserves outside of Germany when it's on. Mm. It's a massive, massive game in the Bundesliga. And uh, to find yourself in that position at that age, right? it's just like he's done it a million times. When you knew Henri would get into that pocket, it's, and it's just like this only one way this is going to go. For for a kid that age to finish so calmly in that situation is just amazing. Mm. Well, it's, it's after the week he'd been through as well. Yeah, I mean, like he he uh, people who follow him on social media probably would have saw it, but you know his grandmother passed away and he dedicated the goal to her afterwards and stuff. He hadn't trained as well for a couple of days. He went to London, yeah, um, and came back. I think he had one final session on on Friday before the game. Yeah, and I want to say as well um, about Jadon Sancho. It, it's fascinating because he's unfortunate in that. He's probably behind three of the best wide forwards in world football, Raheem Sterling uh, at City. Um, you had Mares, who was signed in the summer. Uh, Bernardo Silva actually can play there. I wasn't, wasn't including him, but he can play there. And Leroy Sané, of course, as well. So three or four of the best sort of mm. wide forwards in this role, wingers, inside players. And what I love about this role, the evolving role of the wide forward, we see, you know, obviously, um, a Manchester United, Anthony Martial doing the same kind of thing. This ability to find pockets of space on the edge of the area and to go inside or outside. But the thing with these players now is they finish with such consistency. You know, mm. wingers of the old days like Paolo Futre, they might score like, you know, don't know the sort of strike. Second was. mention of uh, Futre in the podcast <laughs> well, this season. Be- it's great to have him back. <laughs> only because Paolo Futre was an explosive dribbler who was a game breaker, but wasn't necessarily expected to finish. But these... These wingers now, they, they finish. But you talk about the evolving role of the the winger, the wide forward, but it's also, yeah, it's the, the, the prominence, the the increasing prominence of um, of the wide forward instead of a striker. I mean, if you look at Liverpool this weekend, Chelsea, yeah. Tottenham, City, none of them started with a recognised striker. Teams are now using a false nine as their go-to, their plan A. It was always kind of a plan B or like an experiment. And I think it's probably a reaction to, uh, I think it's a reaction to the high press that we're seeing so many coaches implement and the need for, I mean, of course, if you have a Kane or a Lewandowski, you know, you're going to play him, but a lot of teams don't have that dominant striker. Mm. So to have three smaller, more versatile, um, more defensively minded forwards seems to be the way that a lot of coaches are going. There was an amazing moment in the Chelsea City game where Sane got caught offside a couple of times on the replay. It was really, it gave you like a really good overview of Pep's kind of like system. Mm. And by far and away, the two highest people on the pitch was Sane on the left, Sterling on the right, and they were on the touchline. Yeah, right. And they were the highest City players. And they were literally not dropping a couple of yards off to like, you know, make sure they're not offside. They were on the last defenders. Mm. That's Pete Guardiola. I mean, he is the absolute master at stretching the play and Mm. expanding the dimensions of the pitch. I mean, I think you've compared it to floor spacing before in the Mm. NBA, you know, when you like stretch the floor for, for the shooters. And you see a parallel. You go to watch Barcelona and it's fascinating when you see the centre backs. They are as far apart as you could possibly imagine. The centre backs often, when Barcelona um, are playing out from the back, will be almost on the touchline like wingers and the fullbacks are pushed up to the halfway line. Mm. So you've got this incredible expansion of dimensions. And the defensive midfield, field, whoever that is, will drop in yeah, right. and form you know, the As last line of defence. Yeah. And there's the, that amazing uh, bit in Take the Ball, Pass the Ball, right. where uh, Victor Valdez sits down with Pep on, and Pep just starts coaching. He says, right, this is where I want the centre-backs to be. And, he, and he's just like, he's crazy. I just thought he was crazy. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? But I love that Valdez was into it because Valdez is also a bit crazy as well. Yeah, I yeah. was like, you see Valdez going, this is crazy. 
I'm crazy. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but one thing I want to mention as well about these systems and, and spacing the game out, because you know wide forwards are obviously part of a system of stretching the play, being offensive, and this is why I want to mention um, Frankie de Jong at Ajax because mm. they're looking at him. They're looking at bringing Frankie de Jong into the midfielder at Ajax. Mm-hmm. Barca are looking at him. And the reason why I think, one of the reasons I think they're interested in him is because he has this incredible ability, as Iniesta did, to receive the ball anywhere in the, in the defensive third under pressure. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. He is genuinely amazing. He's extraordinary. Yeah, he's very, Unbelievable, very yeah. Frankie de Jong. So the, the reason I mention him, and I know that we're talking about wide forwards, is because... They're all part of the same system. So you have the wide forwards pressing really high up, right? And the only thing that allows you the freedom to push Sterling and Sané so high up is knowing that you've got a player who will retain the ball under any kind of pressure. So it could be Modric at Madrid um, or Busquets Mm -hmm. at Barcelona. But if Frankie de Jong, whoever gets him, whoever gets Frankie de Jong, I think he's that important of a signing, enables the most incredible attacking play because I've seen this guy receive the ball under pressure, edge of his box, two men on him and he will beat them no problem then play the ball into feet through the middle of the pitch on a diagonal into the feet of a midfielder that is an astonishing quality which is actually really underrated in in football I think still a little bit of a tangent about uh, De Jong but he has this amazing pass that he tends to do which I don't really see anyone else do it's almost like he he kind of passes the ball on the move the step before you expect him to plant his foot and pass it in stride He, he always passes it with the outside of his foot yeah yes and it's this it's this amazing thing that he does and he does it all the time and it always catches people off i call it smuggling i know what you mean it's redondo <laughs> did it smuggling yeah redondo did it redondo in the redondo futre moose is pulling all the names the out of champions league final <laughs> i have to stand i will i will die on this hill fernando redondo was the best at this pass I've ever seen. Like, sorry, when, we've got. He's on Redondo. We should just. We might as well just go. This yeah. podcast is done. This could take Listen, a while. Strike, strike, <laughs> strike me down if I tell a lie. Fernando Redondo in the 2000 UEFA Champions League final against Valencia gave this astonishing performance where he shifted the ball so many times between, I think, Albelda and Baraja, the centre, uh, the centre yeah. midfielders for Valencia. This 10, 15 yard pass on the run with the head down and would just punch it, mm. punch it through the line. And this, De Jong is the master, the modern master. Cruz, to an extent before, could do that when he was slightly more advanced. Um, Modric as well, at his best, can do this. Joe was really good at that as well, actually, was was Fabregas. When Fabregas first started coming through and playing in like alongside Gilberto yeah. at Arsenal, you know, you're seeing a kid come through like that. I mean, he was 16 at the time. Yeah. His technical ability really stood out. And that's the same thing about Dion. And that's really hard to do now because the technical level of most midfields is just through the roof compared yeah. to what it used to be. You know, we should caveat it with the fact that, you know, the area to visit isn't the strongest league around. But still, you know, he's done it in the Champions League. He's done it for Holland. Right, and research in Holland, yeah. And I've not been that excited about a, a central midfielder for a while, I don't think. Do you know what I like about him is that He's an architect, like he's building, you know, we used to play football and be like, oh, you know, you play always forward. But then there are some players like that. There's a famous goal that uh, Barcelona scored in the Champions League, I think 2001, when they beat um, Liverpool 3-1 and Overmars scores the goal. And it's it's like a two-minute build-up. The amount of times the ball goes back and across to create space and gaps mm. and just breaks down, you know, breaks down the opposition and you see Dembele doing it now you know more and more so in this sort of as he's more integrated into the Barca side Mm. against Espanyol the 4-0 win Messi was obviously transcendent but what was interesting was the way that Dembele was playing he was playing the ball back with so much more patience and creating space by just you know charging into space Mm. 
get the ball high up. It's almost like in rugby when you kick for touch, like get, getting into space, mm. getting high up the pitch and then retain possession, knocks it back, stretches the play, stretches the play. And, you know, why do you need a out-and-out striker when you've got someone like Dembele who does all those things you've just said, yeah. but then can also finish in the way he exactly. did against Espanyol? Exactly. That was an amazing goal. The way the, the, the ball was on its way down before it went up, like it was so flat. The dip you know? on it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, I must say about Dembele, as I want to say about um, the, sort of the general configuration of the front three, which you see, they're unmarkable. When you've got a front three and you don't know who the pivot is, yeah. then you're in real trouble. So this is nightmare it. And, to defend against. And then when you've got players like um, Jordan Shakiri who can come in at Liverpool and continue where Mane is left off, right. it's, it's really hard to see how they're going to get beaten this season. And, you know, I think Liverpool... I think it's the first time they've been top since yeah. early October. They're unbeaten. Um, yeah. And yeah, the only unbeaten team in the Premier League. What's remarkable about them is they still have an extra gear and a half. Yeah. Like Naby Keita is, you know, he's had some injury trouble. You know, he's mm. not, to me, he's still, I would say like a seven and a half and an eight in terms of what he can do yeah. in terms of his ceiling. And the beauty of Liverpool this year is they're almost like the evolution of the Spurs side a couple of years ago. Remember when Spurs are the most perfectly balanced attack and defence, mm. but didn't quite have the extra squad depth. Yeah. And Liverpool are basically their, their Spurs with squad depth. Yeah, it's a good sense. shout, yeah. And I, I love that. I love how they just have, you know, the team spirit of Salah saying afterwards, I'm not taking the man the match award. It's Milner that deserves it. Yeah. You know, they, they really fight for each other. Mm -hmm. And they've got squad players that can come in like Lalana and come in and play. I mean, the, the ball he played for Ooh. Salah's final goal was a beauty. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool haven't necessarily been blowing teams away this season. Of course, they did at, at Bournemouth and they have once or twice. But, you know, they have they were so reliant on Salah last season for, you know, how many goals did he score in the end? Goodness, 44, 40, 44, 45, yeah. something like that. Um, and he hasn't quite clicked in the same way um, so far. But, you know, Firmino is just stepping up. I yeah. absolutely love him. He's, um, and when we talk about wide forwards, I mean, he's someone who's just assumed this kind of false nine position and he defends like a defensive midfielder. Right. But he does it so high up the pitch. Can I be a bit of a hipster here? Gemba Daniele Massaro at Milan. There we go. There's the hat trick. Bit of a hipster <laughs> reference, but Massaro. It's like you had bingo. Hard working, yeah. sorry, hard working, sorry, <laughs> hard working forward who's Firmino's primary responsibility is defensive is mm. winning the ball back high up yeah. and Massaro did that for Milan so mm. well chipped him a couple of goals mm. in important games but his real job was to liberate the runners off him mm. like Savicevic mm -hmm. who were the kind of magicians in that team and what I love about Firmino is yeah he gets criticized because he's not scoring the most goals but mm. one of the reasons if, if, if you're constantly defending mm. and pushing and pressing and stretching the play then actually and I said this before like attacking is almost your kind of third responsibility yeah. like actually scoring goals yeah. your primary responsibility is winning the ball back mm -hmm. secondary is assists and the third is probably yeah. scoring and anyone who judges Firmino on the number of goals he scores fundamentally misunderstands <clears throat> the contribution he makes to that team I think this is the thing with football though football's changing to a point where you can't have one set of elite skills. It's not enough anymore just to be an elite finisher. And that even goes for goalkeepers. Yeah, definitely. Goalkeepers. And, and you've seen how that's revolutionised football. Yeah, It's the same with forwards. You know, you have to be, you know, some of the best finishers in the Premier League are the wide forwards. Mm, right. You know, some strikers don't score as many goals because they have a changing role in order to allow these wide forwards to kind of bloom. Raheem Sterling is probably, uh, you know, he's he's been on incredible form this season um just like he was last season goals assists we see the best of him um and then 
he has to put up with the abuse that he received. Um, what are your thoughts on on what we saw? Well, I mean, the first thing before I get into before I get into what Sterling experienced um, at Stanford Bridge, because we, you know, it's, you don't want to dignify it with comment, but I think it's worth yeah. coming out and say something about it. Before I get into Sterling, I want to talk quickly about Guardiola, just at City and what he's done, because it's funny we talk a lot about Guardiola following Cruyff's legacy, but we don't give Guardiola enough credit for his reverence for the concept of the total footballer, which I've written about in an upcoming piece for Bonner. Mm-hmm. Um, Plug. Well, absolutely, absolutely, because, you know, Guardiola comes in and he is absolutely, you know, he loves the total football, the player that can play four or five positions. And what I love about what he's done with Sterling is he's turned Sterling into this perfect hybrid of the winger, the centre forward, you know, the sort of, and the sort of mm. inside forward, the playmaker, uh, which is glorious to see. But in terms of how I feel about the race thing and Sterling, I'm glad he came out and said it. I'm glad he came out and connected the abuse he gets on the pitch with what the media is saying about him. I'm yeah. so glad he said it. I'm so sad that, in fact, he was actually talking about somebody else, wasn't he? Tosin Adirabayo. That's the irony. He was <clears> actually referring to someone else. Yeah. But I love that he came out and did that on behalf of somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and I think that what's very powerful is that this England team is beloved mm. because of the way it conducts itself. It's kind of a footballing version of the Olympics 2012 opening ceremony, which was like this multicultural delight that everyone could love, mm. regardless of how they voted, yeah. what their background was. And the fact that Sterling is the emblem of that team and he's being attacked, I think the Daily Mail's gone too far with this one. I don't think it's ready for... And they're not alone, by the way. The backlash, right. Yeah. It's not just the Daily the, the, Mail. The Daily Mail, not alone. It's the Sun. It's all manner of papers. It's it's some football writers as well. They The way they describe black players, you know, it's all part of the same architecture of racial ignorance slash bigotry slash racism. It's all part of the same cocktail. Mm. But there's been some great commentary. And the great thing is that the usual suspects who've been really good on this issue before, like Daniel Story at Football 365, mm. are now providing some of the most nuanced commentary. So I'm really happy to see this getting aired properly. It's surprising and commendable that um, it's uh, Sterling has been able to keep his cool for so long, like with what he's had to part with. Um, you know, we look at the whole tattoo situation in the summer is ridiculous um and lesser personalities would have would have cracked and would have are you referring to when the the day it was the daily mail that wrote a column about his tattoo and they yeah i can't remember one of them one of them them. it might have been the sun actually but yeah um and you know he's, he's he's under incredible scrutiny as all players are um and you know they someone like sterling he 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 doesn't need this. Um, any young black player um, trying to make their way has it has it harder than most of their white counterparts. Um, and this is not this is not how we, as a nation, should be should be treating our um, our young footballers, our young sportsmen, our young people. Right. Yeah, I think that's completely right. And it's um, it's a bit depressing that again sterling had to come out and say something and while i am very glad that sterling's been so stoic under pressure i kind of get a bit worried with the analysis that analysis not yours but just the general overlook the overview that because this idea of being dignified and reasonable in the face of abuse it almost puts a lot of pressure Mm. on the person on the victim on the sufferer it's almost like there's a good victim like a type of person that should be fine with it and actually the problem is sometimes when you stay silent for so long it normalizes mm. the abuse yeah i don't even mean the player i mean those people around you because not even sterling's fault when people around sterling 
and I put the I point the finger at his club and the wider footballing community, the Premier League, and other newspapers, other journalists. When the people around Sterling witnessing what's happening, don't say anything. So it's then Sterling that has to start this debate. Like he he literally was like, I've got to speak out, otherwise nothing happens. Yeah, that's appalling. Yeah. The the person suffering the abuse should never be the face of the movement to get rid of the abuse. We've had this conversation a number of times away from the podcast. For example, was it last year when we were watching that Bayern game? We weren't watching it together, but there was a commentator who said something, he was talking about Hummels and Boateng. Yeah. And this is the thing that we reference quite a lot, even though it's the most visibly shocking, like an older white guy in the front row of Stamford Bridge screaming, like foaming at the mouth at someone like Raheem Sterling. Mm. It's the more subtle elements that really need to be challenged and pulled up on because, for example, the guy was talking about Hummels and Boateng saying, Hummels is the, you know, the technical ball playing centre back and and Boateng is the the pace and the power, mm. you know. And it took me five seconds to pull up the, the game stats and it was just Boateng's passing stats were just off the charts. <laughs> off the scale. Yeah. Like yeah. compared to Boateng, uh, yeah, yeah. compared to Hummels. So it's like this the way that it's so lazy, isn't it? It's not just the foaming at the mouth, rabid kind of like white fan. It's the more subtle descriptions of how they are just um, commented on around football. And yes. I think that, the, you know, <laughs> Piers Morgan's a prime example. I don't really want to talk about the guy on the podcast, but the first thing that he goes after yesterday when this point is raised is like he wants to debate another middle-aged white guy on breakfast TV about this problem as opposed to just listening to listening to the people who are experiencing it, mm. you know, because it has to it has to make people like Piers Morgan and us and anyone face up to stuff that we might not have thought about before. I think actually it's good that we mentioned Piers Morgan because I think he's extremely dangerous. And the reason I say he's dangerous is because when everyone else is watching the Olympics opening ceremony, you're, you know, the Olympics opening ceremony and everyone was loving it and enjoying this kind of diversity, this multicultural festival, Piers Morgan goes on Twitter and says, I think we should have another British empire. Now, to, to have that reaction, to have basic, to celebrate a racist colonial project at that time shows where your head is at. If you are looking at a group of people, a multi, you know, multicultural group of people, and your first instinct is to tweet, we need to go and castrate people with pliers again. We need to go and subjugate like yeah. vast majority, the vast majority of the world, like non-white people. If that is your instinctive response, that shows where your head is at. That shows how you, you watch everything when we're discussing racism. If that is your prism for analyzing racial problems, you shouldn't be taken seriously. And the reason why I think he's dangerous is because he has this immense reach. Yeah. You know, we can't just exactly. ignore him because that doesn't work. Yeah. It didn't work with Katie Hopkins. It won't work with him. It's people yeah. like him that they're obsessed with fighting this imaginary fight instead of fighting the real problems. Mm. Like Piers Morgan could be like, right, I haven't seen this because um, I don't experience this on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> I'm not excusing that, but you can understand slightly why a well-to-do, middle-class, middle-aged white guy might not understand the, the, the microaggressions that people who aren't straight white dudes experience on a daily basis. Mm. But if he was obsessed as obsessed with listening and fighting that kind of injustice What's with really his reach, yeah. as opposed to this like weird imaginary, like there's an attack on like masculinity or there's an attack on white people, or oh, I can't say this anymore because of the PC brigade. It's like, it's this, it's, it's like clockwork. His tactic is like clockwork, right? Say something outrageous, 
in response to something like the Sterling thing, wait for the backlash, that plays into his hand. It's like, criticise this Twitter mob. Mm. And then it's the PC brigade's gone it's, mad. You can't say anything It's formulaic. Anymore. Yeah. It's, it's and formulaic. Like, it's, and frankly, it's it, bullshit. Yeah. I'm really glad that this conversation is being had now, but it blows my mind that it's taken something like Raheem Sterling, who, by the way, just the way that he opened up that debate yeah. was clinical, subtle, yeah. and really, really, really classy. Yeah. And, and, and look who, you know, who has supported it. You know? Exactly. But he uh, shouldn't have to do that. A 23-year-old yeah. footballer should not have he's to busy. do that. He's literally busy. He's literally, it's hard enough being a world-class footballer. Yeah. Week in, week out. He's literally doing that and everything else on top of it. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. sorry for sounding a bit ranty, but it's just... Just why I raised who, who, has, who has supported it um, on social media. It's every single English black player who's ever had to put up with this, mm. you know? Everyone. And I feel like I have to say this as well, like, you know, we can debate, you know, look at Piers Morgan's reaction to all of this, like whether he's racist, whether he's not. I can just say this, uh, to quote Kanye West when he was still making great music, Piers Morgan doesn't like black people. He doesn't like black people. He may have the odd black friend, he may have, but he doesn't like black people because this is part of a pattern with what Piers Morgan does. Mm. He is always the first to antagonise. And like you said, if you genuinely care, if a group, if a community of people are going, this is a genuine problem, and your first instinct is to double down and be defensive. You don't care. Yeah. And he can't. He can't pretend for a second that he cares. We've spoken about it before. A lot of straight white people get equality mixed up with quote unquote white repression. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like they think that their rights are being challenged just because everyone else is going to be entitled to the same stuff that they've been entitled to for years. Yeah. It's like, where in your head is this a problem? I actually get it. To be honest, I do always get it because if you are the kind of complacent person who goes racially complacent person or racist who turns up and abuses Raheem Sterling at a football match, you're doing that because you understand how much you have to lose. Mm. Because you've been mediocre, you've been coasting for so long on unearned privilege and all of a sudden, the second they've opened up the race, it's like almost, let's say you've never trained for the 100 metres and because you're the only people ever allowed to run, you win every week. And then all of a sudden you open up to everyone and all these people who've been training for years, they've been doing weights, they've been doing all, you know, like studying like how to sprint, how to decelerate, whatever. <clears throat> they come and compete against you. Mm. You're terrified because you're like, it is actually oppression from your perspective because you are coasting and all of a sudden you've actually got to work for your place in, 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 the, in, in the society. And that is terrifying to a lot of people. I've mentioned this before on Twitter, like I've, I've called it the black reaction is on trial. And Sterling, like the black reaction is on trial. Like, how's he going to respond? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? Is he going to be abusive back? Is he going to, oh, he, John Barnes backheeled the banana off the pitch. And no, like, no, that's not a normal, that's not normal. Like mm -hmm. the only reason these footballs are so calm is because if they responded to everything, they'd explode. Yeah, exactly. That's the only reason. Not because they're these super dignified Morgan Freeman type. No, they're not. They're human beings who've got to get on with. In the same way that a woman who walks from the front of the door to the train station can't respond to every wolf whistle, every grope, every whatever, because yeah. if she did that, she wouldn't get through, she wouldn't get to work. Yeah. So these women aren't dignified. They're not special. They're not, they're human. They're deeply human. And this is what is frightening. Mm. We have created a situation where the abuse is so normalized that we're spending more time applauding the dignity of the victim rather than the fury of the perpetrator. Whereas in yeah. reality, Raheem Sterling is well within his rights and not Raheem Sterling in yeah. everyone. Yeah. You right. know, it's to go absolutely to go nuclear crazy that's yeah, actually more yeah. normal right yeah exactly yeah. it's not normal and they and like why are we applauding people to essentially like oh well done you didn't go crazy to something that absolutely deserves going crazy like if that happened in the street right, right 
and Raheem Sterling turned around and decked that guy, you would have been like, well, yeah. Well, it literally did happen in the streets. So last year, a Manchester United, I don't know when they were jailed, when he was jailed, but the sentence was handed down quite recently, I think. He was jailed for four months for attacking Raheem Sterling in the in the car park. He kicked him several times in the legs. I mean, and then he also said... I didn't hear about this. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. said, I hope Outside your mother... Outside the Man City training ground. I hope your mother... And I, I, I hope your your, your child pa- and your mother. I hope your child and your mother drop and, and drop dead. Yeah, you or N-word. die. Yeah. Called him the N word. I hope they die. What? And he was like, waiting. He basically pulled up next to him as uh, Sterling was waiting to go into the city yeah. training ground. Let me throw this as well. I deliberately did not write anything about Sterling or much about him until late last night mm. because I wanted other people to discuss it first. Because there is this pattern of. What does the black person have to say about it? Look, if a woman has been harassed in the street, why should the woman then deconstruct what she went through in order for there to be a solution? She's already dealing with the trauma of the harassment. This is the job of men, like for us to get involved. And I thought, I want to see what analysis comes from white people who've seen this. Mm. And thankfully, I can say I saw a lot of of very good analysis. There was some bad stuff, but the, the voices I expected to come through and deliver, Henry Winter, Daniel Storey, they delivered. And I'm very, very glad to be associated with them as part of the writing community. There was some other bad stuff, but I'm glad that we got the analysis out there in that form. I agree. Okay, so we're back from the break and back to the football. And Ralph Hasenhutl has been appointed Southampton coach. Um... What do you make of that, guys? He's got a hell of a job on his hands. <laughs> well, having seen Southampton play last week at Wembley, which, by the way, was a eerily quiet atmosphere. Um, can't wait till we get out of there. It was... Um, you're, you're right. They've, they've, he's got a real job on his hands. I think, um, I think he's got the tools there to, to turn Southampton... Well, I mean, obviously, he just has to save them this year, but they could become something really exciting under him. Um, the, the, they've got like, you know, the likes of Nathan Redmond, who I think is a, hasn't fulfilled his potential since joining Southampton, certainly under Mark Hughes, he stalled. Um, but they've got some, some other players as well that I think could really make something happen. But, you know, they've, he's nicknamed the, the Klopp of the Alps, um, <laughs> which I dislike that nickname, by the way. It's strange, isn't it? I, I think didn't he even, deserves his own. I didn't even, I hadn't even heard that one in Germany. Well, it's probably in English. They've just made it up. Yeah. You know I mean, but I, but there are some similarities to their, to their outlook, but, um, yeah, Hasenhutl, I think could bring back the good times. And as you wrote in your piece for Rabonamag.com, um, plug. Yeah, it does have echoes of of those appointments before the you know when Southampton had that clear philosophy, that clear vision. Mm. You know, Pochettino and and then Kuman. Kuman, it I it had I had to read your piece to re- remind myself that they had finished sixth under Kuman. Yeah, they they had um, a really good period where the first season they were back up in the Premier League and Poch took over in January. I think they finished fourteenth that year. Yeah, finished eighth the next season. Yeah, then Poch left for Spurs, and then Kuman finished seventh, which was their highest Premier League position at the time and then beat it the next season. And then a, and a Southampton fan, I remember at the time, the first season after um, Pochettino left, said to me, yeah, he was holding us back. <laughs> <laughs> um, the problem that Ralph has got is that the squad isn't as good as it was under Pochettino or Koeman and Paul Mitchell's not there, who was head of recruitment at Saints, moved to Spurs shortly after Pochettino went as well. There's rumours that he might be coming back. If he yeah. does go back to Southampton, then that makes the Hasenhutl appointment 
even better in my opinion because I think those two teaming up yeah. will be really impressive. Yeah, I think but so. in the meantime, I think that the thing that's so good about Ralph Hausenhuttel is that he's going to make that squad better mm. and there are fundamental things that he will do to that squad that will make them improve. Well, we've been watching Leipzig for the last couple of years and under Hausenhuttel, they were... Um, they, I mean, they've gone now to a more kind of defensive yeah. outlook, but they were, it was always attack first, you know? They were relentless. Um, they were relentless. But, but as Hasenhutl raised in the press conference at his, his, uh, his unveiling, that that took time, you know? He had yeah. to perfect that over a couple of years. And at Southampton, you know, with the greatest respect, they just have to stay in that league. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think they'll go down now. I don't think they'll go down this season because I think... Too good to go down. It's not It's not that. <laughs> I just think that, like, basically, it's going to take a couple of months, but they're going to start getting fitter. Yeah. And as soon as they start getting fitter, players like Redmond will dramatically yeah. improve, yeah. I think. And um, Ralph Hausenhuttle teams can be quite relentless. And the thing that's really good about it as well is that you're not taking a guy who's just managed at the top level... Mm into a team that's struggling in the relegation zone, he has a proven track record of taking teams up, keeping teams up, yeah. and massively improving teams. Everywhere he's been, he's either been promoted or kept them up. Yeah. You know, he took um, Ingolstadt into the Bundesliga for the first time in their relatively short history, and they've since gone down. And Pascal Gross was a big part of Ingolstadt um, under Hasenhut, so I wouldn't be surprised, as he doesn't quite seem to fit in at Brighton anymore, that he that he makes that move over to Southampton. But it's going to be those Ooh, kind of signings. I think there's going to be maybe some some interesting loan moves maybe in January. I don't think they're going to sign anyone in January. I think you might see a few loan moves. Well, he has been told by the Southampton board that he's got money to spend in January if he needs it. But Hasenhutl himself said that he's going to need the time between now and then just to assess mm. who's up to the challenge in his current squad. Um, but it was interesting to see that, yeah, his his he was saying, yeah, his technique is that I need these guys to work harder for me. Yeah. And that's in training sessions. And, you know, he now has a week between the um, the defeat of Cardiff, which would have been disappointing for him, even though he had one training session before to prepare them. But between now and, and the Arsenal game on the weekend, he's got a week. And it's really, I mean, I'm expecting to see an improved Southampton um, take, take on Arsenal. Obviously, you're not expecting the world, but um, at least he's going to have a little bit of time to implement his methods. And it's going to be good to see that. I just okay. love the quality of the coaching in the Premier League now. It's off the scale. You look at Everton Watford tonight, two fantastic managers. Yeah. You look at West Ham, who are clawing their way back towards safety uh, with Pellegrini. Who thought? You know, it's almost like Manuel Pellegrini's a good manager. I mean, who? I mean, who knew? Who knew? Felipe Anderson is doing big things. Uh, Chicharito is Chicharito. You know, just the predator from short range. But what I love is you're seeing managers getting the best out of players. Yeah. They prefer positions. And it's just it's just a triumph of coaching this year in the Premier League. Like well, you look at look at the top teams, and they're there because they're just superbly coached. Who else? Yeah. Who else but Klopp could live with this era of Guardiola? Mm. But they're they're going toe to toe. Even that, I mean, you know, I'm not sure if how many times they've played each other before, but that's the first time Sarri's beaten Guardiola on the weekend. Klopp has taken like a re record breaking Liverpool season and they're only a couple of points clear. Yeah. Tottenham have you had know. their best start to a Premier League Premier, season yeah, ever. Ever. And they're six points off the off the top. You know, Arsenal are still a little bit confusing, but you've seen massive improvements under Remory and When's the last aspects. time they even lost Arsenal? They haven't when, when's the last time <sighs> start of the season, right? Um it was Chelsea away. Goodness. Twenty one unbeaten now. But I do you know what, as an Arsenal fan, bringing it back round to Southampton, I'm a little bit worried. I would have loved to have played Southampton a couple of weeks ago as opposed right, to now. Yeah. Because yeah. if if anything's got like mm. Look yeah, how much yeah. Hasenhuttle has changed the Southampton side. It's playing an Arsenal side that are without their first choice 
three centre-backs next weekend. Holdings injured out for the season with a cruciate uh, ligament injury. Socrates is suspended. And Mustafi was suspended anyway before he went off. Could injured. we see Koscielny finally? I think it will be a Koscielny Monreal back centre back pairing. I don't think they'll play three at the back next uh, week. Is it away at? It's away at, at Southampton. Southampton. Oh no, that's yeah, hard. It's this, a tricky one. Listen, that historically, nice somewhere place. Arsenal have not yeah. uh, been very good at St Mary's. Yeah, um, and you talk about the the the, the quality of coaching. I mean, Hasenhutl, it's brilliant. He he was pushing Bayern, you know, just eighteen months. Well, uh, two years ago. Um, at the top of the Bundesliga, they were in the Champions League, Leipzig, and he's now taken over a team that are struggling to stay up. Do you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about Manchester United and we were saying, I wonder if they'd give someone like Hasenhutl a chance. Yeah. The, I think the thing I wrote in the piece was like, if there is a downside to this appointment for Southampton fans, history suggests he won't stick around too long. But he's only signed a two and a half year deal anyway, I think. It, I don't think Southampton fans will really mind if it shifts the needle back into the direction where they were. And I could see him really succeeding at Southampton and then being like was, Man United manager. I was just years. about to say the same thing. You it know? has that Kuman Pochettino appointment all over it. Yeah. Even though they lost at the weekend and I know they're a little bit worried. I have to shout out my one of my best mates, Rob. He's a Southampton fan and he's stressing a little bit at the moment. I think they'll be right. They'll be fine. The team I worry for down there is Burnley. I worry a lot because the thing that was keeping them up last season was their defensive record and they are shipping goals. Yeah, they're, they're sinking like a stone and they're playing Spurs next weekend. Doesn't get any easier for them. Anything else took your eye this weekend? Well, I just wanted to raise one thing um, slightly different about the Chelsea contract situation because you've got David Luiz, who was outstanding against City, um, but he's 30 years old, a bit like Cesc Fabregas. Um, and Chelsea's policy these days is not giving contracts more than one year or a one-year extension to players at a 30 or over. So where does that live? I mean, going into the final six months of his contract now... Could negotiate with where European does that, clubs. Where does that leave him? Yeah, exactly. And Fabricas has also been linked with some moves to back to Spain and in Italy as well. I would really love to see Fabregas back at Arsenal. Having him as an option in that midfield would be very handy, especially on a free transfer. Would and he be welcome back at Arsenal then? I think so, because he, the, he Arsenal had the first option when he left Barcelona and they said no. So yeah. I think he really wanted to go back to Arsenal. It'd be strange to sell Ramsey and bring in Fabregas though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. I also wonder what the situation is going to be like. I don't want to talk about Arsenal too much because we spoke about them loads last week, but there's a few little rumours about Mesut Ozil might be getting shipped. Mm. could see I, that happening. I could see that happening. And um, I, I do wonder whether Arsenal may be changing their stance a little bit and maybe cashing in on Ozil for a lower fee that they probably would have hoped and maybe re-signing Ramsey. There seems know. to be a lot of clubs that take this approach now with players that are over 30. And it's not like players, especially as physiotherapy and training improves players can go on for longer mm. and there's a real market there i think for a coach like a sam allardyce bolton era mm. to come in and sweep up all these th washed up 30 year olds mm. and turn them into a good team but the problem is what you can afford so david louise's challenge is he's 30 but there's only a limited number of clubs you can go to yeah what are his strengths Playing actually, to be honest, he he's defensively very strong. It's just a concentration thing with him in big mm. games every now and again. But fundamentally, he plays out from the back extremely well. He defends one on one extremely well. We mm. saw that twenty twelve Champions League final. He's a great asset, but it's just there's just a limited number of clubs that can afford to give a player like that a long term contract. I just think though that someone like Cesc Fabregas, Chelsea are better off holding on to him and maybe even 
reinstating him into the team, given that Jorginho struggled recently and just mixing it up a bit and showing that Chelsea do have like this plan B because even though they beat City and they deservedly won that game, they were outplayed for much, not outplayed, but they were definitely second best for a lot of that first half. Um, Kante popped up and scored a goal, having been guilty of giving the ball away constantly for 44 minutes um, and not really being at his best. And I think Chelsea, there was not, they're not lucky. They weren't lucky to win, but it kind of papers over the cracks a little bit. Mm. Um, and I'd be interested to see whether they come, you know, they're going to be as strong next week. Can I just throw out a, what I would like to see happen? David Luiz at Betis. Ooh. <laughs> okay, then if we're, if we're, doing, if we're playing this uh, game. David Luiz, Mark Bartra, centre-back pairing. Ooh. If we're playing this <laughs> game, I want to see Fabregas go to Inter Milan and oh. lead them over Juventus in Serie A next season. I want that to happen. He'd I want him to play time. the same role for Inter that Pjanic plays for Juventus, the deep-lying midfielder surrounded by, you know, aggressive, high-press um, mm. midfielders and just running things in the back of midfield. I'd love to see him do that because I think he deserves a starting spot at this point of his career. Mm. Uh, other news, Copa Libertadores is done. Finally. They finished it. Oh my Woo-hoo. goodness. When did that start? Oh, <laughs> weeks ago. Three weeks ago, the first leg was, right? I don't want to sound awful, but... The amount of novels mm. that that is going to spawn now. Yeah, there are literally, there are literally football writers who are going to make their name off that. Not not even the ones who are out there now, but it's such an epic football story. It is actually such a great story, and the final game. I mean, the football itself, the three-one. What a game! Well, can I just say, anyone who just saw the goals from that game would think, "Wow, this game was amazing." It was the quality was awful for long, long periods. But Quintero, I mean, what a goal. To do that at that time. I think it was the red card that really swung it yeah, right. River's way. But um, but yeah, that was quite some finish. River Plate fans will not thank me for this reference, but it actually reminded me of the goal that Juventus scored to defeat River Plate uh, in the Intercontinental Cup. Like mm. When Del Piero gets the... That he gets the opening wide on the flank and cracks in the top corner. And this was the same level of composure. You know, when everyone around you is just like lose, you know, it's the whole the thing Kipling was, thing. The thing that was great was like his morale in the build-up as well. Yeah. That was so good. Yeah. And uh, the finish was just amazing. I mean, mm. you know, off the bar and in. We know it makes it's a always goal. better. Goes off the bar, better. Isn't it? it does. No it matter does. where it's hit. There's statistical proof yeah. that a goal is better <laughs> when it comes off the crossbar. There's actual research. Yeah, yeah. MIT, so great, uh, MIT research. Adam Hurry, football cliches, yeah. wrote a great tweet afterwards saying that he would love to see the XG on that third goal. <laughs> 30, 13 yards out, you know, yeah. the bucket keeper was out basically from with five six minutes to go. Yeah, he was essentially playing as like a deep lying playmaker. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just like watching a game of FIFA online with someone who's really, really great. The keeper was like running out past the centre backs, yeah. past the river plate. It actually players. was just like a game of FIFA when that <laughs> keeper came. He was like he 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 chested the ball down on the edge of his own box, and I just thought, okay, well, he's just going to pass yeah. it now. And, and he's he just off. yeah, he ran. I, I actually shouted at one point. I was like, all the way. Yeah. Can I actually um, throw this out there? It'd be interesting for Opta or whoever to do a statistical breakdown of goals that get run into an empty net at the end of matches. Because that's definitely something I think that's changed. In the last, like, in the 70s, it never happened because a keeper stayed in the line. Mm. Like, the the concept of a goalkeeper being comfortable enough with their feet and in an attacking context to actually be able to do damage in the box yeah. I mean, is such a new thing. Like, so you look, you saw in the final, Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern mm. in the German Cup final last season. You saw, I think, Rebic running the ball into an empty net. I think it was Rebic. Yeah, Neuer's got previous for this. I mean, he did it in the World Cup as well. That was an amazing uh, thing against, uh, what game is it? Was it South Korea game where yeah. Neuer was essentially playing a number 10 right at one oh, point yeah, yeah, yeah. the but greatest it moment so in the world cup for me like that. it happens so much more yeah. 
this the last two decades than ever before. Great atmosphere at the game as well on the weekend. Messi, Messi was, there. was there, Griezmann was there, Jordi Alba was Griezmann's there. Griezmann's everywhere. Um, loaded the uh, Godin was there. Dybala and loaded the Juve lot were there. Shout out actually, Simeone was that, there. While we're on the Atletico Madrid t- attack, very briefly. They are just creeping up on the outside rail. Three They're points off Barca. In. They're so sneaky. Three they win are. over Ale- three nil over Alaves. Um, sneaky Atletico. Not the best game in La Liga this weekend though, which was Abar Levante four all. If you haven't watched that game, Ooh. please go and watch it. It was great, great, Abar, great fun. They're doing the Lord's work. But I think quick shout for Sassuolo Fiorentina, which was very, 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 very fun. Three uh, one Sassuolo. Three red cards, I think. Oh my goodness. And uh, Fiorentina clawed their way back. And who other than Kevin Morales to <laughs> score the 97th minute equaliser for Ultimate Fiorentina? Journeyman. Great game. Right, we're almost done for this week. You may notice it's just me in the studio. The other two have long gone so you're stuck with the lesser of the three hosts we had hoped to be joined by a guest to round off the show this week to discuss the women's world cup draw that took place over the weekend unfortunately our guest couldn't make it we couldn't get our times right so the draw took place over the weekend and it's worth checking out fifa.com forward slash women's world cup for all the info you can see all the groups personally my favorite of the groups is group e which is canada cameroon new zealand and netherlands that kind of looks like a little bit of a group of death England were drawn in Group D with Scotland, Argentina and Japan. For the full draw, make sure you check out the website. And also tickets are now available to buy for the World Cup next year in France. So anyone fancy going, I think they're available through the website as well. And uh, a quick shout as well, we were hoping also to discuss Ada Hagerberg winning the first ever women's Ballon d'Or last week in France. Um, Ada striker for Lyon only 23 years old and is just 10 goals off the all-time women's Champions League goal scoring record already an incredible footballer also it's worth checking out the Guardian have just posted their top 100 women's footballers for 2018 Um, that's on their website the full list and it's well worth a read and also before we go quick bit of admin we just like to give this a shout out every couple of weeks our theme music is by Dabri it's a track called Bloop we always post the Bandcamp link in the description on the website so make sure you go check that out check his music buy it if you are into it and also anyone who listens on iTunes feel free please to give us a review or a rating it really helps us kind of grow the podcast at the moment and in the words of Musa tell a friend tell an enemy and that's about it for this week so thanks for listening we'll be back next week and until then take care and see you later bye